our last message in our Understanding the Gospel series that we've been in this fall together. And for this final message, we're focusing on making sure that we each apply what God did in the Gospel by mainly accepting it. Accepting it. Because what God did in Jesus is real and beautiful and incredible and, and it's what we need and we've seen that over and over, Old Testament and New Testament together, but we must really trust him and accept what Christ has done. And so that's our emphasis together this morning. And to see that clearly in God's word, there's many places that we could have gone to about the, in the Bible about trusting in Jesus or just believing the gospel. But instead of going to one of those more famous passages, we're actually just going to be in Luke 14 this morning in this parable that you just heard read. And I think it'll be helpful for us to be here this morning first because this is obviously from Jesus himself. And so I do think it's fitting to end this whole series on the gospel by hearing from Jesus, who's the one who accomplished the gospel. But even more so second, I think being here in Luke 14 will be helpful because the picture itself here in this parable is just, just so great. And, that, and that's the picture of this, this gospel and of being invited into the kingdom of God through the gospel as being a banquet, a banquet or feast, a delicious meal. And, and even right there, right, we see that Jesus and, and the gospel, therefore, aren't something that you just should accept or that you just need to accept or else. But instead, I mean, who doesn't love a feast, an amazing, delicious meal? And again, as you heard, that's the picture that Jesus decides to use here. And in fact, as you might know, this feast picture is something that's used throughout the Bible as well. For example, in the Old Testament, feasting, of course, was something God had his people do to show them a little bit of what he was like. And then, in regards to the gospel specifically, if you remember when we were in Isaiah together as a church in this series, we saw from Isaiah 55 that when God invites his people to come to him in the gospel, he says this. Remember, this is Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. End quote. And so again, coming to God in the gospel isn't earning it. Instead, it's freely coming to this delicious feast. And just so you know, it's, it's very probable or likely that Jesus, as he tells this parable in Luke 14, might have had that in mind from Isaiah 55. And then finally, on feasts in the Bible, way after Jesus teaches this in the book of Revelation, as many of us in here might know, this image of a great banquet or, or feast to symbolize the gospel comes up even in the third to last chapter of the Bible at that famous marriage supper of the Lamb. And for that, it's true, we often symbolize how it's the marriage supper of the land, meaning we talk about how we're so loved by Jesus like his bride, and that's absolutely true. But also, church, I don't know if you've ever considered, let's be clear, that picture once again, though, is intentionally a feast, right? an amazing meal where we're with Christ and with others and just straight up and enjoying him and one another and good food and how good our God is toward us all because of the gospel. And so all that said, so that's why we're in Luke 14 here to conclude this whole series together this morning because Jesus himself pictures 
What he offers in the gospel and the invitation to the gospel is his feast. Which brings us, though, briefly to our outline for how we're going to go through what Jesus, though, says here. And so, again, we'll be in Luke 15, verses 15 through 24. And as usual, we will be going verse by verse here. And as we do so, we'll have three clear steps together to get through this parable. Three clear steps with an important conclusion that shows us how Jesus concludes. And as for what we'll see in each one of those, if this helps you. First, we're going to be in verses 15 through 17. And there we'll look at specifically how Jesus symbolizes the gospel and this invitation to the gospel with this banquet. Which then second will lead us to the big turning point in the middle of the parable in verses 18 through 20. And there we'll see what Jesus decides to emphasize and how people respond to the invitation at the banquet, of the banquet. Which then third will lead us to just verse 21. Where we'll see what the master of the feast then does as a response to people and what they uh, responded to the banquet. And so those will be our three main sections this morning. That'll be most of our time covering just verses 15 through 21. But then, that'll then in our conclusion this morning, lead us to close with how Jesus closes in verses 22 through 24. Which, as you'll see, is going to be a fitting way for us to really conclude our whole series together. And so that's where we're going, church. Simply said, just following Jesus here first, seeing the gospel as a banquet that we're really invited to. Second, the responses Jesus mentions. Third, how the master responds to those. And then finally, Jesus' concluding conclusion here, which will close our whole series. But all that said, let's just then dive in and begin this parable, church. And for this first step, again, we're in verses 15 through 17, seeing how Jesus symbolizes the gospel and his invitation as this banquet. And for this, let's just begin by looking down at verse 15, verse 15, because this is a brief setup verse to why this parable even uh, exists. So look down at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone! who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so quickly on that verse, you can see that this parable is taught by Jesus because someone says that to him, right? Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, Jesus. And that statement first, in context, it connects with what Jesus was just talking about, which we won't get too much into this morning. But even more generally, second, that comment alone, if you think about it, shows us that these people back then already had this idea of eating bread or, or feasting in God's kingdom. But, very importantly, it was an idea that they put a lot of their own ideas on. And really, that's then why Jesus tells this parable. And in fact, you can see that because the first word in verse 16 to come by Luke intentionally is the word, but. But, meaning they have their own idea about how people will feast in the kingdom of God and be so blessed. And yes, Jesus is going to build on that, but. Meaning they're correct in a sense about feasting in the kingdom of God, but they're really off in what that really means and looks like to feast in the kingdom. And so, if you're getting it, the question then becomes, okay, so what does it actually mean and look like to feast in God's kingdom? What's the good news, the gospel of the possibility of feasting in the kingdom of God? And well, that's why Jesus decides to tell this pretty brilliant parable. So now let's continue on and hear from him in verses 16 and 17 where Jesus begins to get into all of it. And as you're going to see here, Jesus really symbolizes the gospel in these two verses. And you'll see what I mean, but look now in verses 16 and 17. But he said to him, a man once gave a great, great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, 
for everything is now ready. So stop there. And in just those two verses, church, there's, there's four things that I think brilliantly point us to the gospel, to the gospel. And so quickly, just, just notice these with me from Jesus. Four things. Number one, notice that when talking about this feast in the kingdom of God, Jesus is clear right away in his parable that, quote, a man once gave a great banquet. A man gives it. Which means, and this is simple, but it's so important, it means that in Jesus' mind and picture here, it's clearly not that everyone gets together and contributes their own stuff and food so that there can be a banquet. Nor is it hinted at at all that the people coerce this man to give this feast. If you think about it, both of those would be more typical religion where, where we do for God and so then he does for us in return. But hear me out, that's, that's not Christianity, that's not the gospel. Instead, God here, represented by this man who we're going to see later is the master of the feast, he alone gives and makes the feast. And again, that's, that's gospel 101. The good news is that God gives and makes and accomplishes this feast of forgiveness and of joy and of peace with him forever and more, all by his grace alone. Right, so that's gospel truth number one here, which then number two, still in verse 16, leads us to see that this man, representing God here, then invites many people right, to his feast. He invites people, meaning he makes it and gives it, and then he invites people to come to it. Which then, gospel truth number three, leads us to see how he then, in verse 17 now, he specifically uses his servant to do that. Right, his servant goes and actually invites people into the feast. And now, we don't want to read too much into that per se, but it is interesting that it's the single servant here rather than servants. And that said, this could be a reference to Jesus himself who, who is here in this story inviting people to the gospel feast. Or honestly, this could just be a picture of how God uses people in general to invite people to the gospel. People like us when we share the gospel or similar to what's going on right now here on a Sunday morning. But either way, gospel truth number three is the point is that God uses means, right? He uses people, uses Jesus to invite others to the feast. And so that's gospel truths one through three, which finally, and perhaps biggest of all, leads to gospel truth number four here. And this, is, and this is my favorite, and it's seen at the ending of verse 17 with that quote, come, for everything is now ready. And, and I love that, and I hope you do too, because think about it, we're invited to God's feast, and God uses others to invite us, but, but what do we really need to do though? That's the question. Well, just come. Everything, everything is ready. There's no need for you to think that you need to be good enough, there's no talk here of earning this. There's no talk of, of paying an entrance fee. There's no chipping in. Right? There's no prerequisite for be, needing to be this or that type of person or having this or that background. Rather, it's, it's just come. Everything is ready, made and given by the master of the feast. So just come. Right? Thinking of those four things, church, that's the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel. Jesus is so brilliant here. God makes the feast. He invites. He uses people, especially Jesus, to invite. And in response, we're to just come. All is ready. Accept it and come and enjoy the feast. And so that's our first step and section here, church. And that's how Jesus opens this parable. And hope you're seeing the beautiful aspects of the gospel there. And furthermore, transitioning on now, though, what's so interesting about all of this is, so think about it. So that's the picture thus far. And, and feasts like this did happen, just so you know, back then. And so for the original readers, and we need to feel this, the original hearers, 
Thus far, this wouldn't have been that weird to them since they would have understood this picture. But also, though, more importantly, number two, typically back then, by far, most people would respond positively to an invitation to a feast like this. And that makes sense, right? Because think about it, being truly invited to a totally free and generous, everything is ready feast, especially back then, but also today, most people, of course, would accept such an invitation. And not only that, but as one commentator I read this week pointed out about the story so far, quote, Jesus tells the story of a man who is planning a great banquet in his home. This is a major affair, which includes an initial invitation in an ancient form of RSVP. And to opt out of the meal at this point is rude, end quote. And so again, most people in a situation like this would happily accept the invitation to a feast. And not only that, though, but also at this point back then, it would be rude, understandably, to not go to such a generous feast. And therefore, all of that said, what we'd expect in Jesus' parable here is he'd go on from here and he'd emphasize how people from all over enjoy, of course, accept this invitation. Right? How people obviously accept him in the gospel. And yet, as you know, Jesus intentionally does not go there next. Rather, he's so surprisingly and creatively, and, and, and for you and me in this room, I think so importantly, especially in our current setting and culture, he decides next to talk about how and why some people reject the invitation, which is both fascinating and a warning to us. And so that, that's where we're going to go next. That was our first step in this parable, which now leads us to our second and for this, we're going to be in verses 18 through 20. And again, we'll see what Jesus decides to emphasize and how some people respond to this invitation to the banquet. And to begin here, let's first just read all of these verses, 18 through 20, and just hear how people respond. It's a pretty shocking twist. So look down at your Bibles. Remember, the last words, verse 17, Come, for everything is now ready. And then this. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please, have me excused. And another said, I, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. We'll stop there. So Jesus begins in verse 18. You see with that simple but bold statement, quote, but they all alike began to make excuses. And that in itself is so significant because think about it, it is not here that certain people have, have things about them that makes them actually not invited. Nor, nor do they have things about them that make it that they actually wouldn't belong at the feast. Nothing like that. Instead, let's get this, they are invited and all they need to do is come and instead they make excuses. Excuses, or to say it another way, they opt out of coming. They excuse themselves from attending. And why? Why wouldn't they come? Well, there's three excuses that Jesus decides to talk about here. And for you and me, we really do need to listen up, brothers and sisters, it's because these are so potentially applicable to each of us in this room. So, so three excuses that Jesus lists. And the first is in verse 18, where Jesus says, quote, The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And hearing that, you can, you can feel the simplicity, the, the mundaneness of that. Because 
back then, buying a field was a semi-common thing that people did in an agricultural society. And, and when you bought a field, you did need to examine it, just like we expect houses today. And not only that, but notice the person here, along with the second person to come, this person is even legitimately kind in their rejection. Please, have me excuse. So this person is just busy with their life, and it's somewhat understandable, and they're even kind about their rejection, and yet in the end, they do deny coming to the feast. They don't go. They don't accept Jesus. They, they just choose the things of typical life and busyness instead. Which in second leads to the next excuse that Jesus talks about, and that's in all of verse 19. And just a reminder, look there again. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. So this is similar to the first excuse, but the fact that this person just bought five yoke of oxen shows us that they're uniquely wealthy because most people didn't have enough fields to need five oxen. And so that said, this is similar to the first, but the emphasis here isn't just on being typical daily life, but it's also about wealth. And still though, the answer at the end of this is the same. They're, they're going to examine their purchase. And so they ask, just please have me excused. And so in the end, they just choose typical life in general, especially a more wealthy life over the feast. Right? And so those are excuses one and two that Jesus mentions, and they're similar. And let's be clear. So many people do respond to Jesus really this way when they, when they don't ever love and trust the gospel deep in their hearts, all just because of typical busyness in their life and wealth. And that particularly may be true, especially of a lot of people in our affluent culture that we all live in. But the most shocking excuse, I think, is, find, is found climactically in excuse number three. And so this is all of verse 20. Look there again as a reminder. Verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So, so personally, I think that's the most shocking excuse because out of all the excuses that Jesus talks about here, especially from the Bible's perspective, it is that excuse, church, that, that we would think is most in line with God's word and it sounds really good. Because think about it, even in the Old Testament, there, there was talk about a newlywed couple taking time to focus on each other. And, and why? Well, because marriage is so important to God, according to God's word. I mean, it really is. But Jesus' point here is, is, and yet, though, what can happen is people can so serve and, and live for their own marriage and families that they ultimately deny the feast of the kingdom of God. You get that? Me meaning they put their marriage and families or kids so highly in their lives that they don't trust and treasure ultimately the beautiful message of the gospel and the feast of the kingdom. And therefore, they don't actually come. And, and not only that here, but notice, ultimately, this person at the end of verse 20 doesn't say, please have me excused like the others. Rather, they say, I cannot come. And this is really fascinating because that means they are so fixated on their marriage and their family that in their eyes, they cannot come to the feast. They're too busy, right? Their time is too full. Their emotions are already taken up. They need to focus on their family, but all along, it is keeping them from the feast, from Jesus, from the gospel. And so, and so that's our second step in this parable from Jesus this morning, church. And you can, finally, you can probably sense it. It is that part, out of all the parts of this parable this morning, that, as I keep saying, can, can be so potentially applicable to us. 
Let's just all make really clear what Jesus himself is teaching us here because it's not what we'd probably expect because sure, it would make sense that if, that if Jesus just wanted to talk about how some people reject the gospel, which we all know happens, we here, almost all of us in this room, we'd probably assume that he'd then talk about people rejecting the gospel because of realities like living for sin, right? Or because they have some hard questions about God or because they're caught up in some really bad worldliness or things like that. Right? Those are the excuses that most of us are prone to jump to thinking that people are making. And to be clear, all those are reasons that some people do reject Jesus. But for each of us in this room, again, let's realize that Jesus himself, in this parable, three times decided to not focus on things like that. But instead of things that are just typical life. And things that aren't even sinful necessarily in themselves. As being the reason why people reject him. And not only that, but especially with marriage, Jesus mentions such a good thing there. Family and kids and a good relationship with your spouse. Especially because marriage is meant to represent Christ in the church. All that is an obviously good thing. And yet again, his point is, it's often the good things that we can twist, even throughout our whole lives, to be reasons, excuses for why we don't trust Jesus in the gospel why we don't really love and live for him, for opting out of the feast. And, and so just to make sure we each bring this home to us, this is where each of us in this room, and I mean each of us, no matter how long you've considered yourself a Christian, please, it's, it's where we need to right now kind of allow ourselves to be challenged by Jesus. Because especially after this whole series we've been through, we need to each ask, have I really embraced Jesus in the gospel by faith alone? Have I gladly, truly accepted the invitation to this feast? Or, if I'm honest, do I realize that I really do live for other things above Christ? Even good things, like my family. And, and quickly, just in case that you think that maybe we're being too harsh or strict in thinking about it like this and interpreting Jesus like this, just see this for yourself. It's fascinating. Right after this parable, which in itself is tough, just notice that Jesus says this next in verses, Luke, or verses 25 and 26 of Luke 14. These are the very next verses. And notice how this relates to his point about how some people reject him because they love their families more. Look at verses 25 and 26. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said that to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And now, now we don't have time to get into all that, but you can sense his main point, right? In the gospel, God and Jesus in this gospel must be the top priority of our lives because they're our top love. Our, our top love. And ironically, brothers and sisters, just so you know, that's actually when our lives are most looked after and it's when our marriages are their healthiest anyways. And so, and so all that said, again, that's our second step in this parable. According to Jesus, not mainly me, according to Jesus, it is often the cares of this world, just daily life and good things like marriage and family and kids that keep people from him and his gospel. And so for you and me, the point is, especially after this whole series, especially because the master has made everything ready, let's just make sure that's not us. That's our second step. That's the main twist in the parable, as you can feel. Surprising thing has happened. People are invited, but they make excuses. And so what happens next? 
But that leads to our third and final main step and section now. And for this, we're actually just going to be in verse 21. And here we're going to see what the master of the feast then does as a result of the people's excuses. And for this, we're just going to read the verse to begin. And as you hear this, notice so clearly what the master does. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And so we'll stop there. So first on that verse and on the gospel itself, you can see it. Let's be clear. Jesus' intention to point out that the master of the feast is angry at the previous excuses. Angry. That's what Jesus says. And think about it, that alone shows us that although those excuses may genuinely even come from a kind heart, or it may seem to us like they're not a big deal, they are. Because really, this this feast is the most loving, lavish thing that has ever been done. The gospel of Jesus Christ is truly the most loving, kind, generous gift that's ever been given to anyone in the whole universe. And And so spurning that isn't like denying just taking a little gift. Right, instead, to, to try to think of another mini picture of what this is like, it's almost like, to, to change the picture just for a second, it's almost like if, if you were drowning in water and you were literally about to sink and someone were to not just throw you a life preserver, but they themselves were to try to come into the water and they were there and they were trying over and over to grab you and help you and swim with you. And then just to add to the picture, it'd be like they weren't only loving towards you, but they were inviting you, of course, to safety and even to a, to a feast on the boat. But it would be like you deciding to reject that person and instead doing whatever it took to not accept their help. Right? Flailing around and trying to avoid them. I mean, think about it. That situation would be sad, of course, but, but it would also make the person attempting to rescue rescue you a bit angry at the whole situation. I mean, because how messed up would that be? How, how dumb it would be for you to act like that? How hurtful to yourself? Right? And, and, and so it is here, but even more so, again, the picture here isn't emphasizing the rescue part, like being saved from drowning, but more so it's emphasizing what we're saved to, what we're saved for, being invited to a massive feast, and yet, again, people still deny that with excuses which is messed up. So that's the first thing on this verse here. Jesus is clear. The master's understandably angry, but then the question becomes, okay, but what then does he do? Right? Does the feast go to waste? And as you heard, the answer to that is emphatically no. Not, not at all. And this is the, really the second twist in the parable because thus far we have the feast and twist number one, people reject it. They make excuses. And then we might expect, though, the, the feast to be less attended. Or, understandably, some of the food might go to waste, but nope. Instead, what happens? Well, the master then goes and brings in so many people that others wouldn't expect to go. The poor, crippled, blind, lame, and they go to the feast. And now on that list of people, the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, two quick things on that list, two things that would be helpful. First, in context... Just so you know, remember in history, Jesus is telling this to Jewish people during his time. The Jewish people, as he did with basically all of his parables. And his point, especially to them, is that they're the ones making excuses of not accepting him as the Messiah, not accepting the good news and gospel of God's kingdom. And so the point in history here is, and yet, God is now going to the nations. 
to, to, to the people that the Jews at the time would have never expected, Gentile sinners, people like you and me. And, and that's what this list represents, along with the highway and hedges talk that is coming up in the next verse. And that's the first thing to know about this list, the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. But then also second on this list, what's also too, too important to notice is not just their condition, but it's especially the fact that these people particularly represent though who, those who it's assumed they cannot repay back the master for the feast. They can't pay for the feast, meaning they can't earn or repay God back for the gospel. Jesus wants that to be clear. It's not an exchange. In other words, it's only grace. And we know that that's an emphasis clearly from Jesus here on this list because skim your eyes to verses 13 and 14 which come right before this parable. And this is important because Jesus there is teaching us, his followers, to have hospitality like God has such hospitality towards us. And in that context, notice what he says in 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. There they are. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. See that? And so in our parable, the point is the master of the feast is rejected by some. But don't worry. He's got plenty of people who are lowly and willing to come. People who the religious types might not expect, but who happily come to the feast. And they're broken and they cannot pay God back. But man, they come. And brothers and sisters, that's us. We're the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. We're broken people, invited with nothing to offer. But God comes to us, and so we go to the feast with joy, all because of what God has done for us. And so all that says, that's in the third main step and section of this parable. And we stop there for now, because that is in some ways most of this parable, and that's really Jesus' main point. There's a free, lavish feast, but so many people make excuses. And for those people, they are not going to be at the feast. It's sad and it's even messed up that they deny such a feast. And yet, that's not the end. Although those individuals who deny the feast will not go, God's got tons of people who do come. People broken and lowly enough to realize that they can't earn this. They can't pay God back for this. But God goes out to get them. That's his heart. And so they come. We come. In the gospel, we come freely to Jesus with faith and we're forgiven and we feast now, the church especially, forever. And so, and so that's our three main sections this morning of this parable and it's most of it. But then I'll finally, for this morning and for this series of ours, that leads us now to close in the way that Jesus closes in verses 22 through 24. And to be honest, we could have included these in the, the third and last step, but I do think they, stip, they stick out as a, as a sort of concluding step, and so it's helpful to take them by themselves. And so let's read these final verses now this morning, and then we'll talk about how they apply to us, and we will be done. So that's most of the parable, but that leads Jesus to close with verses 22 through 24. And the servant said, Sir... What you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the reason these verses seem to be extra or bonus information, if you will, to the parables, because notice, it's not just that the poor, lame, blind, and crippled, they come in, but then the servant reports that they come in, and yet still there's room. 
Right? Meaning we're supposed to feel now, man, in the gospel and it's being accepted by broken people is even bigger than we'd expect. And so there's still room. And so what happens next? Well, the master then serves out the serv- sends out the servant again to the highways and the hedges and even more people come in. Right? And so that's most of verses 22 and 23. Which finally, though, at the end of this parable leads to two more things that are added by Jesus. Two more things. And these are sort of takeaways from all of this. And so for us, these will be our two concluding takeaways this morning. And in a way, they won't just be our two takeaways from this parable, but they're also two things to take away from this whole series we've been in together. So two takeaways. And what are they? Well, for the first, look again at the end of verse 23 one last time. So, so why does the master send out the servant again to get more people come in? Why isn't he just content with the poor, lame, blind, and crippled that came in initially? Well, you can notice, Jesus has the master tell us straight up. He says this, quote, Compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. And that's then the the first thing, church, to take away from all of this. So we need to know, in the gospel, God's house will be filled. And in a way, that's a, that's a simple truth, but it's amazing to think about because consider this. So in this whole series of the gospel, right, we have been talking about how this is the biggest issue in the world, right, for us and in our sin. And then we've been talking about what God did to solve our issue, how Jesus came in his life, death, and resurrection to, to, to rescue us and how he's coming back. And then finally, in the gospel, we have been talking about how we receive all of that by faith alone or not. And so all that is the gospel, but if we only said that, we could then start to think that from God's perspective, we could imagine that, sure, he accomplished the gospel, but now he's, he's kind of watching this, almost fingers crossed, hoping that people don't make excuses and deny him. But that last line of verse 23 from Jesus shows us that's not the case. Instead, God, the master here is clear. His house is going to be filled. That's the picture the master of the feast will have a full house of people enjoying his feast forever. Meaning, yes, many individuals might deny him with whatever excuses they make, but also, let's be clear, many others will be compelled by the gospel and they do come to the feast. So that's our first takeaway of this parable and this series. God will have a full house. Jesus is clear about that. And now you and I individually can be a part of that or not. Which then fittingly and finally leads to the second takeaway. And that's how Jesus ends, and so it's how we'll end. This is seen in all of verses 24, all of verse 24. So look there one last time. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the takeaway here is so God's house will be full. But notice the master here representing God and, and Jesus even, he's telling us that still though, as for those who are invited and make excuses, because that's who he's talking about here, they will not taste my banquet. They won't taste God's banquet. And think about it. That word taste is a really intentional word choice by Jesus here. (laughs) Because, Because finally for this morning, for this whole series, as our last takeaway, it's of course, yes, that we need to know that if we deny Jesus and the gospel, we won't have God's salvation and forgiveness. But really, church, more so, notice the emphasis here actually is if we deny the gospel, we won't taste God's banquet. That's what Jesus says. 
And really, when you think about it, that brings this whole picture and really this whole series and issue of the gospel full circle. Because let's be crystal clear, as we've said a few times now in this series, the gospel is not just about getting saved or, or going to heaven or just about being forgiven. Yes, all that's true. But much more deeply, the good news of Christianity, which is true, is about broken, rebellious people like you and me finally being who we were made to be with God and with one another. It's about us finally being reconciled to God, knowing God, and tasting the banquet that we were designed to taste in God's world with God and with one another. It's about finally tasting what we all know we long to taste in the very kingdom of God. And if you and I accept that invitation, if you personally turn to Jesus, though you've got nothing to offer, then you do taste the gospel a bit now and you will taste the glory of God's goodness more and more forever. But on the other hand, if you deny Christ with whatever excuse, his point is clear, you will never taste the feast. Meaning it is not just that you won't go to a place called heaven, nor is it just that you will have unforgiven sin that will be need to dealt with on yourself, although both of those are true and huge, but instead, it's that you will never taste what you were designed and created to taste. And so, and so all that said, again, that's how Jesus ends here, and that's therefore the final point, really, of this whole series in the gospel, and therefore, in short, I do pray that for each of us here right now, we genuinely have accepted Jesus, and therefore have tasted the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, meaning from Jesus' parable this morning to sum it up, brothers and sisters, let's make sure we haven't and aren't right now subtly making excuses. Let's make sure we aren't putting seemingly good things even, like our marriages and families and kids or careers or anything like that, above Jesus. Because that's not just wrong, but it's not good for us and our families. Instead, let's, let's trust Jesus. Let's keep relying on Jesus and tasting the goodness of the gospel. And finally, church, let's look forward to the day that this same Jesus, who came as we celebrate in Christmas time, who lived, who, who taught this parable, who died and rose for us, let's look forward to when he comes back and we get to taste the goodness of this feast even more fully with him and with one another forever. All because although we're broken sinners with nothing to offer, he came and accomplished the good news for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.